Merry Christmas, Vima Church. I love that last line. Even when it's the worst, it's the best. <laughs> that, you know, and I think that's uh, a perspective that really only a believer has at the holiday time. Like, you know, the, the, the holidays, they can be difficult and have that kind of perspective. Like, even though things are, are a little bit difficult, like, it's still okay. And for me, like, and for most people, I, I think when it's the worst, you know, most people think when it's the worst, it's actually the worst. And like some of you maybe in a room, you know someone like their spirit animal is the Grinch. You know, like that's if they were to like have a spirit animal, it's the Grinch. And then some of you in a room, like, you know, the buddy, the elf, and that could be equally as annoying, you know, the overly optimistic person and then the overly negative person. It's like, I just want to be in the middle somewhere quiet with some food and a music or movie playing in the background. You know, anyone else like that? Any, any Grinches out there? You just, you just self-identify, a couple of you self-identify as a Grinch. You're like, let me sleep in. Like, the presence will still be there at 10 a.m. And we don't have to get up at 5 a.m. Anyone buddy the elf? Like, you're just like 3 a.m. Like, you're, self, you're waking up on your own. You don't need the alarm. Like, you just love Christmas. Yeah. And so we got these, like, kind of polar opposites on the holidays. And uh, when we think about the holidays, I, I think a lot of us, you know, it brings up a lot of great memories for some of us. And for some of us, maybe not so much. And in fact, this Christmas is a lot like others um, this season is not just joy, if I could be honest with you. This season oftentimes has a little bit of pain attached to it. And for some people, the, the Christmas financially is not what you hoped it would be, and maybe the tree is a little bare than what you thought. For some of us, maybe the family dinner table isn't going to be as full with laughter and fun because you know when you gather around, it's going to be tension and fighting. And for some of us, this year maybe be a little lonelier because Maybe the, 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 the season has separated you, maybe some broken relationships, maybe even some loss of some relationships, maybe even loss of loved ones. And we think about Christmas, we always just want to talk about the good and the, and the fun, and, but the reality is a lot of us are probably carrying in some frustrations, some, some pains, some difficulties. And, and I think if we, if, we, if we aren't careful, we can just try to live above it and, and we just try to just kind of maybe remedy the pain, but never actually look at what's causing it. We don't actually try to maybe actually find our freedom or find our healing. And I believe the holidays is a time that we can't, it's not just for hope, but I actually believe we can be introduced to the person of hope. But as we look forward to Christmas, uh, if I could get real with you this morning, I think there's some pain attached to it. And here's three pain points that I think probably all of us in the room can identify with this. And here's one. Uh, this is a pain I have all the time. There's problems in this world that I can't solve. And that frustrates me as a man. Like, I want to fix things. Like, I'm a fixer. Like, I want to I wanna make things right. My wife comes to me and, like, says, hey, there's, some, there's a situation or I've got this friend that's dealing with this thing. Like, I, as soon as she starts talking, I'm thinking about how to fix it. Anyone else like that? You're just a fixer. And one of the frustrating, painful parts of the world and the holidays is there's some problems that we have to face and struggle with and deal with that we just can't solve. Another pain point from us, for, for some of us, is that there's people we can't control. Like we all have a weird uncle and we all have that one person as we sit around a dinner table, everything's going great and then they just got to bring up politics. And then all of a sudden things get weird, get feisty and maybe for some of you, you retract and you just like shut your mouth like I'm not getting involved. And maybe some of you are like, no, this is my chance. I've been waiting to tee something up. I've been dealing with traffic. I've been dealing with my kids and I'm not going to take it out on them. I'm not going to take it out on my church people. I've been waiting for my weird uncle. Like I'm, I'm taking it out on him. And you've been looking forward to it. But there's people we can't control. And one other pain point I think most of us face around the holidays 
is there's expectations we can't meet. When we think about the holidays, I, I always have this picture in my mind, and actually, if I'm honest, it goes way deeper than my mind, in my soul, in my heart of like what I want Christmas to feel like, like what I want to experience this time of year. And at some point in the journey, whether it's my kids or whether it's my finances or whether it's my family or whether it's a sickness last year, uh, my oldest son came down with COVID. We didn't get to spend Christmas with our family. We're stuck at home. And what made it worse is that Thanksgiving, I had it. And so we, two holidays, we're stuck, quarantined there. Like sometimes there's just things outside of your control. There's expectations that we have that just don't get met. And I think the easiest thing to do is to blame it on people, like blame our pain on people or blame it on, blame it on situations or circumstances or events or happenings. And in fact, this makes me feel better. Like if I can pinpoint, like I'm a, I'm a problem solver, so if I can't solve the problem, I at least want to pinpoint whose fault it is. <laughs> like I feel better about it knowing I didn't cause it. But the reality is there's things all around us that happen that has nothing to do with us. They're outside of our control. They're outside of our choices and our decisions. And there's things that happen. And the problem with this kind of thinking, especially around the holidays, is it's short-sighted. And when we, when we look at our problems in this short-sightedness, it leaves us only treating the symptom, not actually treating the disease. Like we just try to like make things a little bit better for just a moment. Like if I could just make it through that party or just make it through this situation or if I could just make it through this month and we, 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 we're really trying to treat the symptom but not actually willing to look at the disease. And so today I want to take a little bit deeper dive because I believe the story of Christmas, it does, it's not just joyful, it's not just something we could celebrate, I believe it's actually a healing I believe that when we look at Christmas and look at what Jesus did and how he came into this earth, we don't just make it through another season. Maybe we even make it all together. Like maybe there's healing. Maybe there's wholeness. Maybe there's something more that we can find if we're willing to dig a little deeper. In Mark chapter 7, it says this. It says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensually, envy, uh, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So like we can look at the situations in the season and go, man, this is like, I, I just want to make it through. But I think if we're willing to look past the pain or look past the wound and go a little bit deeper, we can find out there's maybe something deeper that God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. So we see that sin comes from deep within. Uh, Romans says this, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, this is talking about Adam and Eve committing the first sin, and death came through that sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. You're like, this is a horrible Christmas message, John. <laughs> Where's the joy? Where's the Santa? I, I believe there is a lot of joy, and I'm gonna get to that. There's some good stuff we're gonna get to. And, uh, but for us, I believe to find the good stuff, we have to be willing to face the nasty stuff. And I, I want to help you this holiday season because I don't just want to send you with a hope that only lasts a week or two. I don't want to just send you from this place. And I think this can happen at church where we get a little buzz spiritually and we're like, man, that was a great service and the songs were beautiful and I ate some cookies and I drank some coffee and the people were nice. And we, we, we kind of rely on that little emotional, spiritual catalyst. And then we find ourselves a week or two later and it's just not carrying us. It's not sustaining us. And I believe the story of Christmas shows us that we can go beyond just treating our symptoms to actually finding freedom. 
We can go beyond just making it through another holiday season and actually find the wholeness, actually find the completeness, actually find the joy and the peace that God has for us. But as long as we're unwilling, as long as we're not honest about the depravity of our sin, what's really going on in our lives, we won't be desperate enough to see or surrender to a savior. You see, the story of Christmas is great, but only if we recognize we needed a savior. Like the fact that Jesus came to this world, that's great, it's a beautiful story. The nativity, it's beautiful, it's a great thing. It, it makes a great little thing that you can sit up on the fireplace, the mantle of your house. It, it creates great movies and there's some great music attached to it, but there's so much more than just the feelings it creates. And if that's all we have and that's all we see and that's all we feel, we're just dealing with the symptom. But Jesus didn't come just to help us feel better, he actually came to make us better. And unless we're willing to actually deal with the, the frustrations and the tensions for what they actually are, which is sin, we won't actually be able to embrace the saving grace of our Savior. In fact, Jesus talked about this in Matthew, or Mark chapter 2. Jesus, there were some guys that were up on a house, and there was a, they had a, a friend that was paralyzed, and they, they tore the roof open, and they lowered him down in. And if you know the story, Jesus heals this man. But this is a conversation that happens right before that. Jesus says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now for me as a regular human being, both of those things are pretty hard to say. I've not, I've not healed a lot of people and I've not forgiven anyone's sins. But Jesus is asking them because they, they were almost okay somewhat with them healing them. But when Jesus said, I'm gonna forgive your sins, they were like, whoa, 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 who gave you the authority to do that? And Jesus says this, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus didn't just come to make us feel better. That Christmas is not just a season where we can get some little tingly goosebumps and laugh and smile. I believe this moment, this season, this time of year, we're celebrating and we're recognizing that we're broken, that we have sin, that our lives are out of control, that there's things that I can't control. There's situations, there's brokenness, there's frustrations, there's tensions. And I'm not just trying to make it through. I'm not just trying to treat the symptom. I believe Christmas shows us someone came down into our lives to actually give us freedom. And this is what Jesus came to do, not just to create a holiday for us to feel safe and secure, but to actually bring us healing. So Jesus came and he was sent to bring hope to our sin. And I want to look at a, a perspective of the Christmas story in Matthew uh, chapter one today that I don't know that I've ever preached this around Christmas or if I've ever seen anyone preach this. Most people skip over this and this is the genealogy of Jesus. So in Matthew chapter one, before we start talking about, and if you keep reading, it talks about the birth of Jesus and the angel that spoke to Mary and Pastor Ryan, he preached on that in the first week of our series in the Thrill of Hope about the conversation with Mary and the stress. Last week we talked about the shepherds and, and, and the angels and about the songs, the hope in our strong songs. But in this, in this story, I think we're gonna see something a little bit different, which I believe is the hope in our sin. So it says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus. The, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then so now here's where the, the genealogy starts, verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So in the genealogy of Jesus, we've got some big heroes so far. We've got Abraham, 
And then they just mentioned Judah, which if, you, if you've grown up in church, you've been to a Christian bookstore, you've seen a t-shirt, the, the line from the tribe of Judah. And so the, the tribe of Judah or the family of Judah is known by the crest of the lion. Um, you've seen it somewhere. If you've been to a Mardell's or a Lifeway or just walked through the religious section of the, at Walmart, you've seen the, the lion from the tribe of Judah. So this is some pretty famous people, some pretty big things. But in the genealogy of Jesus, it's listing these heroes of our faith, but it stops in the middle of this to break away from the men, traditionally, which is how you would show genealogy, to talk about Tamar. Who's Tamar? Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Tamar married one of Judah's sons. His, this son that she married was evil. He was a horrible person, a despicable person, did all kinds of evil things in the world. In fact, in the story, if you read this, we see that God actually struck him down, left Tamar as a widow. Well, in their history, in their context, if you had a widow in your family, you would give the next son to marry her. So Judah gives his second son to marry Tamar, so that way she can be cared for, stay inside the family. Well, guess what? Judah's second son was the same. He was a rebellious, scoundrel, a horrible person, a sinner, and God struck him down. Well, now here's Tamar, twice widowed, and her, her father-in-law is Judah, and Judah has a third son, but Judah doesn't want to give her his third son because Judah's afraid that it's Tamar that's killing his kids. He's unwilling to recognize the sin of his own sons, and so he blames it on someone else. Some of you have some family like that. <laughs> like, where you know who the problem is, you know who the potster is, but we're unwilling to actually name them, and we shift the blame to other people. In fact, some of you maybe are the person that takes the blame because you sit quietly, and you take it humbly, and there's a potster, but you just kind of distance yourself, and this is what's happening. Judah's like, it's Tamar. Well, it wasn't Tamar. It was his sons. We're evil. And so here's Tamar, and Tamar ends up finding a way to actually sleep with Judah, this crazy story, and, and actually bears a son and redeems it. And when this happens, Judah, at this point, finally recognizes his own sin. And he says, this was my responsibility as the father of this, of this name, of this family group, to provide you someone to care for you, and I did not do it. And Judah repents. So in the lineage of Jesus, it steps away from the heroes and mentions a name that reflects a story that's quite broken. And we keep reading. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Imnadab. <laughs> I said, I practiced saying this earlier. The father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of, uh, that's not Salmon, Salmon. Uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now again, man, 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 man. This is completely normal in their culture. There was a hierarchy, and it wasn't, it wasn't just a sexism thing. There was some of that, but this was also just how their, their culture told the story of genealogy. It was the sons. It was the last name. It was the bearing of the name. But all of a sudden now, it takes a turn again. It mentions another woman, which we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus talked to women. He ministered to women. He set women free. He wasn't scared of any kind of weird gap culturally. Jesus came to save all people. He wasn't scared of sexism. He wasn't scared of racism. He wasn't in the social economicism. Like he, Jesus penetrated all people, showed love to all people. He talked to the rich young ruler, and he talked to the poor, the widow's mind. I mean, Jesus saw all these stories, and he was willing to infiltrate all of them. And so in this, here it is. Jesus in the lineage of Jesus, we're talking about Rahab. Who's Rahab? She's a prostitute. Rahab's a prostitute who wasn't naturally born as an Israelite or as a Jew. And so she actually, if you know the story of Joshua in the battle of Jericho, there was a, a woman, a prostitute that saved some of 
the Israelites. She, she set them aside and hid them. And then she let them free, and they said, well, Joshua told her, hey, because of what you've done, your family will be saved and will protect you. So she gets folded into the people of God, an outsider, as someone who is full of sin. Their, their life was, has a history of shame and gets pulled in as now redeemed and, and gets to be part of this story. Rahab is part of the story of Jesus. And it says that Boaz, or, or Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Rahab's is, is Boaz, Boaz is Rahab's son. Then Boaz is the father to Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We know this story. We got uh, Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, another woman being redeemed who was a widow who was on the outcast. Boaz redeems her and restores her family. That's right here. And then Obed, who is that? Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David. So in the story now, we've got these broken women. We've got widows. We've got adulterers. We've got a, a, a man in a family who didn't stand up and protect his own family, was full of shame and had to repent because he didn't care for those who he was called to care for. All this brokenness, all of this craziness. And then now all of a sudden we got David, the King David. And the prophecies were told about Jesus, that Jesus would come from the lineage of David. And that Jesus in Isaiah says that he would come from the lineage of David and he'd also be born in a town called Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. So we know these things to be true, but I, wanna, I want us to look at how Matthew describes David. He says, whose father of King David, David, was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. David is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus as King David, the one who had an affair with Bathsheba, the one who had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered, sent to the front line to cover up his sin, to cover up his affair. And then the offspring of David's affair with Bathsheba is Solomon. And Matthew chooses to tell us, knowing what the prophets said about Jesus, that he was going to come from the lineage of King David, the righteous king, the one who's a, a man after God's own heart. Matthew takes the time to listen to list Tamar, to list Rahab, to list Ruth, and to list David, and to say, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. All of this is in the story of Jesus. This is the bloodline. This is, this is where Jesus came from. If we track, track the bloodline, the genealogy of Jesus, the bloodline of Jesus is drenched in sin. It's drenched in promiscuity. It's drenched in abandonment and murder and, and, and jealousy and rage. And Jesus came right into the middle of this story. Uh, Jesus came through this story. He saw all of these things. And before Jesus, and this is what I love about the, the, the Christmas story, before Jesus became of age and ever preached the message, his arrival on this earth preached his message, that he came to redeem those that were lost. He came to repair that which was broken. He came to set free those who were bound. He came to heal those who were sick. He came to, to restore that which had been pushed aside. He came to bring the outcast and bring them into the family of God. He came to lift up those who had been pushed down. And he came to push down those who had been lifted up. Like in the very arrival of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, we have the whole gospel message. Yeah. That Jesus came to this earth before he ever spoke a word. We know why. Because we can see the sin. We can see the brokenness of humanity. Today... I want you to hear this. If you don't listen to anything else I say, I want you to hear me say this. That Jesus is not scared of your mess. 
He, he's not ashamed of who you are and what you've done. He's not reluctant to hear your prayers. He's not standing off because the decisions you made. He's not separating himself from people like you. In fact, that's people like you and the situation you're in and the life that you've lived. That's the reason he came. He's not distancing himself from you. In fact, he's drawing near to you right now, today, in this moment. Yeah. Jesus wants to meet with you. He loves you. And so this is, this is what Jesus came, and we see this in the story, that Jesus came as a savior to our sin. He came as a Messiah to our mess, and he came to be the hope to our hopelessness. Galatians 3 tells us this. It says, may God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. These are things that God wants you to have, grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from the evil in this world in which we live. You see, our world is full of sin. Our, our, our story is full of sins. It's broken. Our story is broken. My story is broken. Your story is broken. And Jesus came intentionally into our mess as the Messiah. I love what First Timothy uh, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Jesus came to be a hope to our hopelessness. And in fact, I think if we look at the story in the, uh, of the Christmas story, we see this, that hope is what the prophets prophesied. Hope is what the angels sang about. Hope is what Mary carried. Hope is what Joseph protected. Hope is what the shepherds worshiped. Hope is what the wise man sought. Hope is what Herod tried to murder. Hope is what was born on Christmas Day. Hope is what gave his life for ours. Hope is what's waiting for us in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Hope is not just a feeling. Hope is a person. And the holidays are all about trying to find hope, trying to hold on to hope, trying to restore hope. That's why we love the songs and the movies and the music and the food. That's why we embrace this time and this season. And that's why we go sit down with family that we've had confrontation with time and time again, because we hope this time might be different. But then we find ourselves in disappointment and heartache and brokenness. We find ourselves maybe approaching the holidays this year a little bit different than last year because things aren't the same. And there's nothing to hang our hope on. But I think as long as we're trying to hang our hope on a thing, or trying to hang our hope on what's under the tree, or trying to hang our hope on a feeling, it's all gonna fall short. But when we hang our hope on the person of Jesus Christ, it stands the test of time. And this is why even when it's the worst, it can be the best. Because as Christians, as believers, we know that not everything is perfect. We know that not everything is right. We can see the sin and brokenness. And our own story tells us this, that things are not right. I'm not right. But because he's good and because he came, because he gave his life, I can even know I'm not right, can be made right through his righteousness. And that's the story of Christmas. 
is that Jesus saw all the sin and the brokenness, even in his own bloodline, even in his own genealogy, even in his own lineage. And he didn't stay away from that. He didn't wait and look for a better person or better people or more perfect people. He came because of the brokenness. He came because of the pain. He came because of our heartache. He came because of the weight that we carry. Jesus wants to be our hope. He wants to be our hope. So Jesus came into our mess, into our darkness, to bring light. Isaiah 9 says this, the prophecy about Jesus. says the people were walking in darkness. That's us. We're walking in darkness. There's, there's pain, there's sin, there's tension. We're walking in that. This is the life that we live. But they saw a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah is talking and prophesying about the hope that is the person of Jesus and how he came in as light into our darkness. Today, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a beautiful Christmas carol here in just a minute. But I want to talk to you for just a second, just about light. We think about light, we think about darkness. We could turn off every light in this room and it could be pitch black. And just the flicker of this would illuminate enough for most of us to be able to see, to move around. It's amazing what one light can do in a land of deep darkness. And this is what Jesus did. He, he saw the darkness that is in our lives and in our souls and in our world. And as one singular light, he came and he lit our world. And the beauty of the gospel story is that as Jesus came and lit our world as one light, he lived his life, he gave his life, and his light was temporarily blown out. He died on the cross. But then three days later, we know that he rose again. And when he rose again, his light shone like it had never shone before. And he went and he never died again. In fact, we know the story most of us do today that he, he went into the heaven as a living light. But when he left, he didn't leave us alone in our own. The light did not leave us because he sparked a light in the person, in the person of each one of us. And in fact, the word tells us that he didn't leave us alone, that he actually sent the Holy Spirit as a helper. And now God's spirit lives inside of each of us. And so God doesn't have to be distant because he actually wants to be close. He can actually be as close as I am to my wife and family here today. And when the light was sh shined and the light was lit, it began to spread from person to person. And what's amazing, what happened with just one person turned to 12, turned to 120. Now today is billions of believers who are all today at this moment celebrating and recognizing that the light came into the dark. Yeah. 